Hi, and welcome to GEC Important Talks. This is a podcast series presented by the team at Global Education Connection, a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing children uh, who are affected by conflict or natural disasters with resources like educational materials and art supplies. As a part of this podcast, we want to talk about important topics related to children, their human rights, and their education. Of course, none of us is an expert on these topics. We speak only to our knowledge, personal experience, perspective, and opinion. But there are many credible online sources for further information. Today, we have myself, Catherine Slaughterback, and... Carter Beck. Along with special guest... Yeah. And today we're going to be talking about um, kind of our personal experiences related to the entire kind of education system, like the differences between public and private, along with things like online schooling and charter schooling. Um, And I know all of us uh, on this come from pretty different backgrounds. Like I personally went to public school K through 12 um, and I'm now attending a private college. But I know you both have pretty different experiences with that. Yeah. Um, so I did private school K through eight and then public high school. And then uh, college was uh, Penn State. And as I've told you before, it's uh, they're public when they want to be and private when they want to be as well. Yeah, I know. I considered going to Penn State, so I totally get it. Yeah. Yeah. And then I went to private school, specifically school. Private school is really good. And then Albert, um, what about elementary school, high school? Elementary school, elementary school. I don't know about elementary school if it was private. We well, went to international school, right? I went to international school, so I'm sure that's private. Um, that was pro- probably probably yeah, private. Yeah, yeah. So middle school, I went to private, and then middle, no, no, elementary school private, middle school private, and then high school public, and then uh, college private. So we all we all have some pretty unique uh, differences in the uh, the types of education that we received in in the different sections of our life, um, whether it was uh, primary education, secondary, as well as tertiary. Yeah, I mean, we also did education in totally different places. I did K through twelve in Pennsylvania, and I'm now doing college in New York. Um, and you, I know Carter did elementary through high school in California, right? That's correct. And then college in Pennsylvania. Yep. So kind of reverse you came to pennsylvania for school and i left it yeah (laughs) and then albert um did you when did you start the uh, international school international school i started when i was i believe it was second grade second grade do you know where where was that before that when you were in san jose yeah before that i was in san jose i lived in i was born in san jose california and then did you do, did, do you know if you went to private school or public school um, before second grade? Uh, I actually don't know. It seems like a private school if I look back, um, but then I can't like confirm that, but I'm pretty sure it was a private school. Okay. Yeah. How many kids went to your, uh, the, the, like how many kids were in your grade in international school? Oh, in, in their grade, it was a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. It was like. And, you know, I never, at that time, I never, like, counted how many kids were around me, but it was a big, it was a very big school. Yeah, it that's was almost, That's yeah. pretty unique for private school, because, I mean, like, Catherine, Albert and I went to the same um, middle school um, and then high school, but our middle school, we had about 40, 45 kids in our, in our class each grade. Um, 
And then, but also it seemed like that was kind of the average for private school in that area um, in California. Um, and then we went to high school, there were like 600 kids in, in our grade and then 2,400 for the, the whole high school. Yeah, this international school. Sorry, what were you saying? Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, no, this international school that I went to, they all started from like, it goes from K to uh, senior year of high school. Wow. So like everyone, like, um, I guess everyone who started from the beginning and finished until high school, they like knew each other their whole entire lives. Uh, so I think, I don't know if a lot of schools do that where you're in the same classroom with, you know, since kindergarten to senior of high school. Um, but that's, that's what made this school stand out. Yeah, because when you guys were in California, you were in a pretty major city, right? Or yeah, like we were, we were, we lived in a suburb of Los Angeles. Um, so, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like uh, in, in LA itself, but just, just on the outside, we were in South Bay area. Gotcha. Yeah. Cause that's, I was surprised when you were like, oh, only 45 kids. I was like, wow. Um, I had, cause I was going to say, I thought my class was pretty small at Shemokin and we had like 120, but we were also rural Pennsylvania where I think the entire school had like 2000 people in total. So. Yeah. Our, our high school was pretty big. Um, at least it seemed like it, like, um, comparatively, uh, with, with like 600 kids in, in the freshman class, uh, sophomore, junior and senior as well. Um, so it was a pretty big high school, definitely a big difference going from 40 kids in your grade to 600. Um, that was, a, that was a big wake up call. It was a very big high school. I think like, cause I had some friends who went to boarding school and like, I had some friends who went to small high schools and I was like, do you know everyone in your grade? And they're like, yes, I know everyone in my grade, but Carter and I, like when we went to high school, like there was people that we went to, we started freshman year of high school with. And then like all the way to senior year, we're like, I had no idea you went to my school. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like a lot of that. <laughs> Just just going to like you know just never meeting people. There was that many students there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can imagine that. That must have been wild because like, and even like the shift from college. Like I went from free house, small high school, and like school in general to just a small college. But I know like Carter went to Penn State, which is massive. So how was also that kind of transition between those different types of schools? It was interesting because it was going from a small private school for elementary, middle, and, and, um, and then going to a what seemed like a huge high school and then going to an even bigger um, college. So just going from small to large to um, enormous. Um, you don't even try to know people um, in your in your class just because, I mean, let's see. I, I think there's uh, – let's, let's look up uh, students – population state so for penn state the student population for 2022 is 88,116 so it's a lot of kids um or i mean you can call them adults i mean but i mean <laughs> still that's a, that's a lot of students um so 88,000 that's a that's pretty big but also it's spread spread um across the uh, the whole campus the campus was was very big um, so it really didn't seem like that many um, but also that number probably includes like world campus which is their online schooling um, that may that may also include some of the small satellite campuses as well um, yeah so yeah because obviously like 
the size of the campus also totally ties into your experience of that. Like Shimokan had a single building that housed grades seven through 12. Okay. Um, and then even at Manhattan, we have, I think like five academic buildings. So like, it's still pretty tiny, but obviously, like I said, Penn State is totally different than that. And then I'm not kind of, what um, was your experience with college, Albert? For uh, school? Yeah, college was actually a really good time. Even the, the, the design school that I went to, I went to a school called Otis College of Art and Design, which is in um, California as well. But I think I was only there for about a year until I dropped out. Um, I think during that time, I just wasn't like ready to spend that amount of money because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life at that point. Um, and then so I dropped out and then I started figuring out um, like what I really wanted to do in terms of my career. So I was able to focus my attention more on um, the school that I wanted to go. Once I got in, um, it was a really good experience. I didn't go to college to like, you know, like I think a lot of students, um, they kind of go into college knowing like that oh yeah i don't know exactly what i want to do that's why i'm going to go to college because i'm going to take you know certain classes and find out what i want to do and i think that's what college is there for right but for me i had a different approach where i knew exactly what i wanted to do i so i knew exactly what classes i wanted to take um and i think that was like i think you can do both ways too right some students really benefit from the open class structure of like oh i can do philosophy i can do history uh but for some students, when you like already know exactly what you want to do, you just need to take the classes that you know are required. Um, that helps too. I don't know if that if I answer your how question. Many, how many how many students were in your school total, and then how many were like in the specific grades, like freshman, sophomore, junior? Oh, uh, it depends on the major. So, like, so the major that I went to, they only accepted sixteen students each year. So it was a like a very competitive like program. Mm -hmm. um, and that was just for that program that I wanted to get into. But then, like, I know for, like, different departments, like illustration, film, photography, they would have, like, I'm sure, like, thousands of students, you know, in each semester. Um, I don't know about thousands, but a lot of students, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know, like, some majors that we had, like, like my class in the year, there was only 16 students. So, obviously, it was, like, it was really, really, really small. Um, but it just depends on the college, too, right? Like, my college was so different from Penn State. Like, Carter, you went to a school where, like, each, you know, I'm sure each year, like sophomore, junior, there was just like hundreds and hundreds of students coming in. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, ju I just typed in um, Art Center uh, mm -hmm. on their website. They say they have approximately 2,423 students, 57% female, 43% male. Um, really? So, respectively, I mean, like you said, I mean, if there's only 16, 16 students in your specific uh, program of study, that's still like, like you said, probably there's quite a few that are also in like photography and, and those other, um, those other areas, um, within art center. Yeah. I actually like, when it comes to like knowing how many students there were at campus, like I never thought about that during my time <laughs> in school. So like, I just like, you guys asked me like, how many like, students? I'm like, I, I never cared. Like, I don't know. <laughs> this means all about me. <laughs> well, that was, that was smart. The approach that you took where, where you were going to Otis and you realized that you didn't actually like the program that you were in. So rather than just continuing and getting that college experience that everyone, everyone seems to, to want, um, you actually decided to, to refocus and 
take some time to actually understand what you really wanted and then you ended up finding it so that probably saved you time and money in the long run oh it definitely did save me a lot of money because like imagine if i was still figuring everything out while paying you know the college tuition that yep. you know whereas what i did instead is that i just found a mentor that outside mm. of college and then i just studied under them for a year you know with like so much cheaper than i would have been paying if i went to like college um, and then my mentor helped me and then I got into the specific college that I wanted to because I only applied to one college when I um, applied for a school. Like, I, I really just wanted to go to that one school. Um, so th that's an interesting idea. Um, after high school, is that something that you would recommend to students is don't jump into college, but actually find a mentor? I think you should like, whether you go to college or not, I think everyone should find a mentor. Yeah. And this was like some advice that I heard Ooh. just like a few days ago, but then, um, Someone that like, uh, you should find a mentor. I know I'm kind of like going on a tangent right here because we're supposed to be talking here in college. No. And I'm like, oh, no, go <laughs> look for a mentor. Don't go to college. But that's all I'm saying. But um, even if you go to college or you don't go to college, everyone should find a mentor when it comes to like finance, when it comes to like, you know, relationships, when it comes to like family and like just people who you obviously see are better at you in certain things because there's always going to be people who are better at you at anything, right? So just find them and then um, yeah, I think it'll help a lot. Catherine, is there anyone in your life that has been a mentor to you for your schooling? Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny. I actually, um, yesterday, the political science department here on campus held like a little meet and greet where all the poli-sci professors were there and all the poli-sci students were invited to come. So I went, I was like the only senior there and it was mostly freshmen, but it was still fun. Um, and then kind of after everyone had cleared out, I st stayed behind and literally just talked to like the five professors there for like 20 minutes about my future career goals. And they were all like, here was my experience. You should come by my office and like, we can talk this out, see if this fits better for what you want to do. We can help you figure that out. So they, I think it obviously depends on the school because like I go to a school where there are only five political science professors. So I have the ability to build those um like strong connections with all of them because i've had four out of the five um in i've been in their classes before like specifically dr chasek i'm literally taking um like my fifth class with like my fourth and fifth class with her this semester and i have her for model un the past like two years on top of that um i've spent a lot of time in dr keller's office because he's my academic advisor so I, I wouldn't say there's just one that specifically had like an important role in like shaping my academic career, obviously, but um, being able to build those connections with them was super important to helping me kind of figure out, oh, maybe I want to do this. Maybe I should do this here. They gave me all of their office hours and were like, come by and we can talk. Um, so that was obviously really important um, and very helpful. And I just, I felt very grateful yesterday knowing that I could go to any of them and be like, hey, what, what should I do when I graduate in eight months? <laughs> I think that's a very, uh, I think you're in a very fortunate position having, it seems like you have um, the, the faculty in that department just seems like they genuinely care about the students. And I think that's fantastic that you have that ability to go to teachers and they, they're willing to provide you their personal insights. Absolutely. And I, a lot of college is not just, you know, going and taking classes and learning what they're trying to teach you, but it's also building those meaningful connections, not only with your professors, mm -hmm. but also um, like your fellow classmates, like 
who knows, maybe five years in the future, like one of the people who I happen to share a class with and worked with on a group project will be able to help me get a job or something. Um, or even <laughs> Dr. Chasek yesterday when we were um, finishing up our foreign policy class, I was talking with her and she was like a big part apparently in New York City, specifically in like the television and film industry is um, like all of the different night show hosts, like the crews that work for them all have softball teams and play each other. Um, so that's how they're able to build those connections and like help each other get jobs because mm. they all play softball together. Yeah. Um, so obviously it's also building those meaningful connections with a mentor or with a group of professors, with other students or with other resources on campus that are able to help you kind of figure out where you want to go in life. Just because I walked in knowing I wanted to be a political science major and have stuck with that the entire now three years that I've completed doesn't mean I necessarily know what I want to do after that. I certainly don't. That's what we talked about yesterday. Um, so obviously using those resources and those connections is super important and a big part of what college is about. I think that the the two examples that, that were just provided, Albert, your example with the mentor, Catherine, your example with your professors, I think that speaks to the um, the influence that people can have over students, young people, and just the impact that they can have on their lives. And if anything, that that highlights the importance of what education is to a to a child and to a student, um, because at points in our lives, we're just sponges. We're trying to gather as much information and we're influenced by people around us and the environments um, that we're in. And so having a, a good mentor or good professors or good um, coaches, I think is is so vital and crucial for students to set them up on a, on a on a good path. Yeah, and I think that also kind of goes back to not only just mentors and faculty in college, but also in elementary school and middle school and high school. Like I know Carter and I have talked about before, um, teachers who influenced us um, in those early years, like. The only reason I'm in political science is because my seventh grade history teacher was willing to put up with seventh grade me trying to make political points of which I had very little background knowledge on. Um, so having that was really, really important. I don't know. Did you guys have similar experiences in your early years? I had a, uh, Fr a French teacher in high school, Mr. Thompson, who failed me. <laughs> <laughs> but but because because he because he, he, he gave me a failing grade, he ended up not becoming uh, my teacher, but becoming more of a, a mentor, more of a coach and just a, a guiding figure. And so for that, I, I'm, I'm forever grateful to him for that. Um, and so looking back, like failing was, was one of the best things that he could have done for me, that he did for me. That's, a, that's actually a great thing that you just said, Carter, is that failing was a good thing. Cause I think that's something that a lot of students are afraid to do in college, which yeah. is failing. Um, and especially failing in a structured environment, because you, when you fail in an unstructured environment, like for example, like at work, when no one's mm -hmm. going to be able to save you, like that's painful. But when you fail, you know, under guidance from people who know what, you know, how they're going to instruct you, that's like when failing, it doesn't hurt as more as much. So, yeah. um, yeah, I think like what you said, like failing is really good. I like recommend that to all students who go to college. I'm like, what does that mean to like fail in college? Mm -hmm. like, you know try new things, you know, take classes that you're like, hmm, I wonder if this is going to be something that I enjoy or not. Um, it's during college and like you're, you know, as you're going through those programs, that's just, that's when you want to fail a lot. Um, so that was interesting. Also, I think some, some 
high school students um, especially are, are less willing to put themselves in a position where they're able to fail because the ramifications like that will, if, if not completely uh, ruin your chances of getting into some schools, um, probably significantly um, chop off some of, some of the school options that you, that you had. Um, but also in college too, um, if you have aspirations for going to law school or um, getting your master's afterwards, students might might be uh, less willing to take risks. Um, and I think that that's too bad that you can't justify, yeah, I, did, I wanted to take an extremely difficult class because I wanted to challenge myself. And yeah, I ended up failing or I ended up getting a poor grade, but here's why. And here's here's what resulted because of that. And I think that's too bad because I think that after what you said is students need to be able to to do that so that way they don't fail once they get into life after school but also in the way that high school college is currently set up is they they're they're not incentivized to fail yeah like like you said i think that speaks to greater issues in our education system mm -hmm. obviously how grading works how the teaching itself works how so much of what we're supposed to learn is based off of what we can memorize for a test. Mm -hmm. um, so I think those are all really important things that we kind of need to reevaluate in the education system. Um, and as, as much as the education system has its faults, um, I, we mentioned this kind of a little bit last episode, I think it is still kind of scary how certain political um, members of uh, Congress or whatnot are threatening education via book bans, or um, trying to limit what teachers can teach in schools, um, particularly like um, in Florida, where they banned, I think, like the AP course on African American studies, um, or even like at the um, recent RNC debate, where they, like a bunch of the candidates were proposing to just completely dismantle the Department of Education. Um, and while obviously a lot of our podcast, not only this episode, but others, has highlighted kind of the flaws in the American education system. I don't think that means we need to completely get rid of the Department of Education. I just think it kind of needs to be revitalized. Yeah. I mean, these uh, these candidates were, they're using they're using this as a talking point because it evokes emotion. But I, um, I think the, the reason why they do it is because it evokes the emotion out of people because they're frustrated with the status quo. And at the point where they're frustrated with the status quo, they look for other options, which is why we've seen an increase in people homeschooling their kids, in in um, going to charter schools, magnet schools, private schools, alternatives to public school. And I think that's an interesting trend where we've seen a, a decrease in public school admission and an increase in these alternative um, education options. Um, so let's see, I pulled up some some numbers. Um, I mean, since according to Statista, since 1999, um, going all up to 2012, they more than the number of students um, in homeschooling uh, more than doubled. So that that is indicative of uh, parents that are frustrated with the status quo of public school options. Um, you all, also there was an article from the Urban Institute. Um, also highlighting it said K through 12 enrollment in public schools fell by more than $1.2 million. Um, they're looking at the school years of 2021, 2022, 
private school enrollment was 4% higher while home homeschool enrollment was 30% higher. So that that's an amazing number. Um, and just in, in two years, you have an increase in 30% of enrollment for homeschooling. That tells you something, um, whether it means that the Department of Education needs to make some changes um, or or if, if homeschooling is going to be a, a, vi a viable option, then, then maybe the Department of Education could look into to that and seeing if they could also help homeschooling uh, with students rather than just neglecting it. Yeah, because I think right now, at least in a lot of states in the U.S., um, homeschooling, I, I don't think is necessarily um, the best option for students, at mm -hmm. least academically speaking, because there aren't like with public schools, the schools have to meet certain mandates. Students have to like pass so many um, like state tests and whatnot. And that might not be the best way, obviously, of like determining that a student is actually learning. But with homeschool, it's kind of a free for all, at least to my understanding. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I know that that's detrimental to a lot of people because I've seen so many stories online. I've met so many people who were homeschooled who were not actually taught anything at home it was just kind of an excuse so they didn't have to go to school mm. um so i think that that's it's it's an incredibly dangerous growing trend to see um especially as we have these growing attacks on public education and i think just academia in general mm. is currently under threat um so kind of the, the unregulated nature of homeschooling or even the unschooling that people are calling it yeah. sometimes i i think that's very dangerous, especially if you want your child to succeed in life. Albert, what's your opinion on uh, homeschooling? I think homeschooling, it's like, it's not like a one size fits all for sure. I think it depends on the individual and also it depends on where you're at as well. So like, there's certain things that I feel like a student when they, and because essentially what homeschooling is, is just studying at home, right? And for some people that might seem well, like- Well, that's what's supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, that's what it's supposed to be, right? Homeschooling is just studying at home. But for some people that might be the best thing for them or it might be the scariest thing for them, right? So it just also depends on where you're at in your life, right? Some people, some students are ready for that at that time in their life and some students are not. I know for me, speaking for myself, if I was in high school and then my parents were like, hey, Albert, you're gonna be homeschooled now. I would be like, wow, that's like the best thing in the world for me. Because like I would like I don't have to wake up early in the morning, but it also would be the worst thing in the world for me because I wouldn't study at all, knowing myself back then, right? Yeah. Um, so I think it just depends. Um, and also it's it's hard to like inspire yourself to like stay focused and disciplined while you're homeschooled. But um, there's also that like as I think what Catherine was saying that actually like is it important too? Because like I think what's really important about homeschooling is you need to have that interaction with other people. Um, and homeschooling, you don't get that. So I think that would probably be like the biggest like thing I'd be concerned about. If I said someone through homeschooling would be like, because oh, you need feedback from other people to know whether you're doing something right or not, right? Because when a computer says, oh, you did a bad job, and you're like, oh, okay, I did a bad job. But when a professor or mentor that you respect tells you you did a bad job, then you really learn that, right? So I think there's certain things that you, can, you can't get in homeschooling that you can get when you physically meet um, the teachers and the students. That's a long answer, but yeah. <laughs> no, I, I agree. It, it's not a one size fit all. I mean, for some for some students, it's going to be the best option for them, uh, depending on their circumstances. Um, maybe if if their their school is is not able to accommodate um, for maybe some of their needs, or if they're more um, advanced academically, or maybe not as 
um, up to the standard academically, that's where homeschooling or an alternative might come into play because public school can't accommodate for the broad spectrum of of all students, but they can probably accommodate for the average. And that's where that's where they can definitely come in. But homeschooling is is definitely an option for some kids, um, j- just like just like private school, uh, magnet, charter, and public school. It's it's whatever is going to be best for the kid. Yeah, absolutely. I don't take my little spiel as like a whole complete. Ah, I'm anti homeschooling in all situations. I'm not. It's just I think in a lot of cases it's not used the way it should be. Yeah. So I think that's something we have to be more cognizant of, especially um, like teachers, like, uh, sorry, Albert mentioned this earlier about how um, like a lot of in-person schooling is getting that social interaction, especially for like little kids who need to learn how to interact with other people. A big part of things like kindergarten and first grade is learning that socialization, learning those social skills. So you're able to build on that as you get older. And a lot of like learning conflict resolution or learning to share things obviously can sometimes be done at home if you have siblings but that's not always going to be the case especially depending on what your home life looks like mm. so that's obviously a really important factor to it um and also after like the whole debacle that was covid and the rise of things like online schooling obviously that was still available prior to covid but once covid hit it kind of really took off we've also seen the effects of that um, with children, especially like small kids or even those in high school who, again, didn't develop those social skills that they needed or um, how students slacked off for online schooling. And obviously a big part of that was a ah, global pandemic. Um, I'm not going to disparage anyone for their academic situation during COVID because that was a, as literally everyone said every two seconds, um, an incredibly difficult time or like, like you said, these I mean, unprecedented times. Yeah. There we go. These unprecedented times. Obviously, that's going to affect your ac- academic standing and whatnot. But um, since now that we're in this kind of post-COVID world, as post-COVID, I guess, as you can get with all the lasting impacts that we're going to see from that, um, online schooling is still kind of just being used to slack off. Um, at least from my personal understanding of what my professors have said, what other people have said, um, or even like people in my life who have used online schooling. So, and obviously that, again, it depends on the student. It depends on their academic situation, their home life and whatnot. But I still think that's something we need to kind of be aware of while discussing like the different varieties of education that in-person schooling we have it for a reason. It has its benefits. And yes, it does have its drawbacks. And especially with the state of school safety in the United States, I totally understand why some parents are obviously going to choose to homeschool or online school their kids just based on that fear. Um, trust me, I get it. <laughs> but, that's a, that's a, uh, a talking point or that's a discussion that my wife and I are having regarding our son is, is, um, is public school really safe uh, with the rise in school shootings that we have seen no one can no one can deny that um but the fact is that we have seen an increase in school shootings whereby schools are not safe and so some options are to put in a school resource officer or have a police officer parked out front of the school but we still see school shootings and we still see violence in some schools and so that's a that's a that's a great fear that i have for for my son whereby is school is is going to public school or even private school 
a, a a safe option for him? And am I able to keep him safer with homeschool? And if I'm able to keep him safer, then that has to be a an option that's on the table. And that's up to that's up to us as as parents to to help him with his quality of education. If we decide that homeschool is going to be the best option, that responsibility then falls onto us. Yeah, um, I don't know. Like, obviously, I was in high school and like middle school, kind of post like most major school shootings, like after we'd seen like schools trying to implement these things. So like, once I hit, um, I think they started it once I started seventh grade, like my, the entire school had to start wearing uniforms. So we were all like wearing the same exact outfit and you could easily, like, easily pick out who, who was different. Mm-hmm. Um, we had to start using, um, clear backpacks every single morning. We had to go through metal detectors and have our bags searched before we could go into school. Um, and we had like five um, security guards throughout the, my entire high school. And I, I'm not 100% sure at like the elementary school and stuff because that started after I had moved on to the high school. Um, but it, I, that stuff didn't necessarily make me feel safer because, again, like at least lately, like the school shootings we've seen haven't necessarily been kids hiding a gun in their backpack. It's like someone walking in with an AR-15. And yeah. if like you can't necessarily, I don't know what you can do to stop that other than, I don't know, my school would page people in, like all of the doors were locked and you had to like get permission to come in. But obviously I don't know if that's necessarily reasonable for some schools. So that's what, always going to be a threat. But Our high school in California, it wasn't just one building. It was several buildings and with open hallways, um, like I mean, I'll admit, like Albert and I, our senior year, we we left school quite often. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the the like the the feasibility of being able to shut down the, the some schools um, just by the way that they are architecturally designed is not would be would be quite the challenge. Um, yeah. Just as as an example that Albert and I had. Totally. So again. Like we kind of talked last week about school infrastructure, I think, unfortunately, unless the government is willing to actually do something to combat the current gun violence crisis in our country, um, that's going to have to be a factor in examining school infrastructure. And that might be one of the contributing factors as to why we're seeing an increase in homeschooling. And so I I think that's very important for the Department of Education. Uh, to pay attention to is if if schools are not going to be safe areas, parents will take the will take the um, decision to to not allow their kids to go there and to look for other options. Um, well, I it's a it's a tough decision that like we're having in my house um, because it's it's directly responsible for the the health and safety of our kid. Yeah, and again, sometimes public school is the only option for some people. They don't have the economic feasibility to do private school. Um, And at least in my area, when we originally switched to um, online education, like in spring of 2020, um, like my school straight up, like once we were out due to COVID, we did not do anything academic for the rest of the year because a good portion of the school of the kids who went to my school didn't have access to Internet at home. 
Like that just, it wasn't something feasible for my area because of how high the poverty rate was. Like my school had to give out food to students because or else they weren't going to eat. Um, so even things like online schooling isn't always feasible for people, especially in high poverty areas. Um, and again, like homeschooling isn't cheap. You need to buy those academic resources that you would have previously gotten through a public school on your own. Mm-hmm. So like it's, it's just not always feasible for everyone. Very interesting. Um, the only the only example that I I would have for online schooling was I did take some online classes for for college, um, and like looking if if it was, if I was to compare the two, I would say that I had a I had a um, I had a better time in the in person learning, um, and I think I probably learned learned more with the on person learning just because of that social interaction. So I think that um, hybrid might be necessary for some people, but I, I'm a big proponent still of, of in-person learning. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, I think we have a, had a really great conversation today, so we will wrap it up from here. Um, but before we do, I think we should talk about our coloring book. As always, if you, you listeners, if you like the content that we produce, if you if you want to continue to support the work that we do around the world, whether it's in Mexico, Ukraine, Turkey, or here in the United States, one of the best ways that you can support us is by purchasing our coloring book on Amazon. It's the exact same book that we've been able to send around the world to kids that have been affected by conflict and natural disaster. We greatly appreciate all the support. And I highly recommend um, purchasing that coloring book because it's a great idea. It's a great way to be able to help kids to learn about different animals. Plus, they can express themselves creatively and draw these different animals. So thank you. Yeah, and of course, uh, Albert contributed to that coloring book. So thank you so much for that. It's a great book. Um, And also, thank you so much for joining us today. It has been great to have you on. I hope you enjoyed it. That's great. Awesome. Well, again, if you like what we do, you can check out our coloring book. You can also check out the other things we sell on our shop, which you can find on our website, www.globaleducationconnection.org. You can also find more about who we are, what we do, and how else you can best support us. Uh, You can also find us on all of our social media platforms. Um, So again, thank you so much for joining, and we hope to see you again next week. Bye. (laughs) Bye.